Well, Kurt so nicely started uh, this series last week uh, better together by looking at those in our church that perhaps may be marginalized, feel like they're on the outside, on the, uh, the fringe of people, of normal people here at Sailorville. A good uh, talk indeed. I'm excited to keep going in this series of community. God has adopted me into his family, so I will share life with his children, those children being us here as a church. So in our effort to make more people more like Jesus, we want to look at not only Jesus as our Savior, but Jesus as our example. Chuck read this verse already, speaking about Jesus going by himself early in the morning in solitude to find a place to pray. So when we look at Jesus' life, he definitely had times where he was alone by himself for specific reasons, particularly to pray and get alone with God. But if you look at the majority of Jesus' life, it is lived among other people. Tonight I'm speaking on marriage, and particularly as we talk about better together. But I want to talk about, just for a moment, Jesus in that area. Jesus was the most fulfilled man to ever live, although he never traveled more than 20 miles away from his home. He never was married, never experienced a marriage relationship. So Jesus leaves an example that in order to be fulfilled or in order to live a full life, you don't have to be married. But marriage is a good gift from God. And I want us to explore a little bit of that tonight from his word. I realize that many of you sitting out there now have more marriage experience than I do. I have a lot of some experience, a lot of theory in the word of God, and that's where we're going to go tonight, and mostly not the theory, but more the word of God in my experience. Uh, but we want marriages to be centered on Jesus, and both husband and wife must be pursuing Jesus if that is going to happen. Brad Cooper, not to be confused with Bradley Cooper, says this, tying the knot is the easy part of marriage. Tightening the knot is what takes work. I remember my wedding day. It was a crazy day, as like many of your wedding days. Everybody was getting ready. There was much anticipation that was happening. My brothers, who were groomsmen, were decorating my car in a very inappropriate way, but appropriate for a married couple, I guess. And I was about to walk out into the auditorium to the front of the aisle to welcome and anticipate my bride as she walked down. And right before I went out, a groomsman grabbed me, who was a mentor in my life. He had been married for some time, and he said this to me. He said, Brad, don't forget what you're doing today. He said, don't forget that you're entering into a covenant relationship that you are before God entering into a covenant with your wife. This is not just any ceremony followed by cake. This is a covenant ceremony. And I wasn't sure exactly what he meant on that moment because I had never really heard anything like that before regarding marriage. But I knew that it sounded serious. I know that marriage itself was serious and I was intrigued and wanted to know more about this. And I hadn't even really in that moment set in exactly the full weight of marriage. You know, if you're planning for a marriage, it all is fun. And well, maybe not the planning side of it, but I mean, you're thinking about it, anticipating of what it might be. But did you remember that moment where it set in that you were married? 
Like, it happened for me, like, the next morning after we were married, and I'm taking both suitcases out to the car, and my wife is still in the hotel, and all of a sudden, it hit me, he's like, I'm married. <laughs> it was this crazy, exciting, but just this crazy thought, like, this is, there was a lot of weight that is wrapped up in what I just did with my wife. But a covenant relationship, it's a true, it's, it's biblical, it's what I remind people when they're, we're getting into premarital counseling about this being um, that marriage is a covenant relationship and what I try to tell the groom right before he enters into this marriage. Ephesians 5, one of the most famous passages of uh, Scripture, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll be there most of the night tonight, putting in some other things in there. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 is where I'm starting out tonight. Ephesians chapter 5 31 and 32. Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand your truth tonight. Encourage us and instruct us and help us to be more like you as a result. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul, speaking about the context of marriage, quotes Genesis chapter 2, and then he says, this mystery is profound. Now, the word mystery is not a word that would be foreign to Paul because he talks about mystery a lot. He uses the very same word to describe that the Gentiles are going to be brought into salvation and they would then join the covenant community. And it says, this hasn't always been the case, or at least people didn't know this, but the great mystery has now been revealed that Gentiles will receive salvation. Paul here in this word actually uses speaking of a mystery of marriage as if he's saying a mega mystery is to be revealed here. And he's saying really mystery can be interpreted also as secret. And he's saying if you want to know the secret of marriage, you've got to understand this, that God's plan from all time, from Genesis chapter 2, when marriage was instituted, God had in mind from that moment Christ and his church. The secret to understanding and, and living out a healthy marriage is to understand that it's bigger than, than just you as a couple. It's bigger than you and your wife. See, marriage is the one human-to-human -human relationship that is an intentional picture of Christ and his church. Marriage is the one relationship that is an intentional picture of Christ and his church. The, us being the bride of Christ. And Paul is saying, if you can understand this secret and you can live it out, then you've discovered the secret of marriage. Now, a lot of this talk tonight, I'll be leaning upon Tim Keller from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He drew a lot of different things throughout that. So uh, I won't quote him every time, but if I say something extremely profound, just know that's probably from Tim Keller. <laughs> but he says this, the secret of marriage is to do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. Now, that sounds easier said than done, doesn't, isn't it? But really, that's the secret of marriage, that you do for your spouse what Jesus has done for you. 
Now, God has always worked with his people through covenants. We're studying the the book of Genesis on Sunday morning. We've looked at the Abrahamic covenant. And that covenant was not based upon Abraham, but upon God. The promise that he made to him, and then Abraham then believed that promise. And that promise said, no matter what happens, Abraham, I will bring my promises about in your life. I will be faithful to you. And in the new covenant, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, Philippians 1, 6 tells us that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, so God choosing us for salvation, eternity past, bringing us to salvation, will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, listen, I am going to be faithful to you as my bride in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so when we enter into a marriage covenant, we have times that are really good. And those are really easy times to um, love it and fulfill our vows and to say, this is exactly why I got married. And then there's times that are bad. And instead of floating around the house, you're stomping around the house and you're wondering, can this get any worse? And then the ugly comes along and you realize this just got a lot worse. But that's the beauty of marriage. Listen to this. This It's the beauty of marriage. Someone sees you up close and knows you. Nothing is hidden. They see everything good about you, and they see all your imperfections and all your flaws. Just like God sees what's good about you, see all your imperfection and observes all your flaws, but yet is fully committed to you. That is what the perfect marriage covenant looks like, is someone who sees the real you and is fully committed. Isn't that what we all want? that kind of relationship to be fully known and to be fully loved at the very same time. That's why it's been said about the gospel that we are sinful and flawed more than we'd ever dared believe. But at the same time, we're more accepted in love in Jesus than we ever dared hope. And this is the relationship that marriage pictures full exposure with a full commitment attached to it. And that's comforting. That's comforting, knowing that you can have that type of relationship, that that is available to you. I mean, if you were to set up a camera in my wife and I's home, you would see just how strange our relationship is. And the stuff that we do, it's like, you guys do that stuff? It's like, yeah. But you hang around, you, you might talk to me a little bit and know me casually, and maybe it might come to your mind like, man, there's something off with this guy. He's a little bit strange. Don't tell me if, if you have thought that before. And then my close friends get to know me and our interns have observed me and things and they start to realize those things are true. This guy is a little off. He's a little strange. And then my wife is sitting here and thinking, listen, you have no idea. (laughs) But that's what it is. It's the security of being fully known and being fully committed and being fully loved at the very same time. Let's talk about these implications of being in a covenant relationship. We're in a relationship with a God who never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we, as human beings, 
should be and are always changing. We're told to be conformed or to change in the image of the sun. And as we grow older, we begin to mature. We start to think differently. We start to act differently than we did when we were younger. And so many people, when they are in marital problems, saying it's just not the same anymore. It's just not like when we first got married. It's not the same person that I married. Well, duh. I hope it's not the same person that you married. If I was the same person today that I was when I got married, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now speaking. If you expected that of your kids to never grow, to never change, that would be crazy. We're supposed to be changing. Our interests will change. Our hobbies will change. Our passions will change. But we don't give up on the commitment when our spouse changes. We invite the change and celebrate it and help them. I recently, my wife got me into, she bought me a, a record player for my birthday. And I've been out scouring, looking for old records to play. And... Uh, and I found this Carpenter's record from 1971. And I was studying for this passage and I was listening to it in the living room and my wife just comes in and she goes, who are you? <laughs> because she knows. When, I, when we first got married, it was all, I want the latest and the greatest. And she's like, I don't even know you anymore. But here's a, a quote that, that's good and memorable. I... I I don't remember who said it, so I don't, we're not going to put it down. I could probably say it's probably one of three people, but I didn't know, so this is what it is. Marriage is not just a commitment to present love, but to future love. Marriage is not just a commitment to present love, but to future love. So what does that mean? It means that I am going to commit to you now in this stage where I just love you and I'm going to commit to keep on loving you after you change. As you grow and as you become a different person through our marriage, I'm going to look for opportunities to get to know you more and to relate to you on a different level. God stays the same. He never changes. But as we change, he relates to us in different ways. And so, so often we see the marriage covenant, we don't understand it. We think, that, oh, this person isn't exactly the same. This isn't what I committed to. We think when the person changes that our promises and vows change along with it. But the vows remain unchanging in the covenant even when people do and should change. So in a covenant relationship also, there are different roles. I'm not going to have an opportunity to really exposit this whole passage in the time that we have tonight. Uh, so I'm not going to be talking a lot about the women's roles in this time, but mostly the men here. And in a covenant relationship, the husband represents Christ. The husband represents Christ. So what does that look like? Let's look at verses 23, and then we'll look on from there. Verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, himself, its savior. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So you see here that the passage says that 
Jesus or the husband, just like Jesus, is the head of the wife. Now, it doesn't mean that he is superior to her. As Peter tells us, husbands and wife are both co-heirs together. Even as Christ submits to the Father and the Godhead, they have different roles, but they are equal. And God has established the man to lead his family. Christ loved and gave himself up for the church. And the man is not supposed to lord over his family, but to serve the family and lead in a sacrificial, loving leadership. Jesus laid down his very life. And men, this is the type of leaders that we're called to be. Self-sacrificing, giving of ourselves as Christ gave up his life for the church. So we're called to lead our spouses and our families the same way that Christ has called us to. And Christ said that he also takes his bride and he sanctifies her or he purifies her and washes her clean. It's this beautiful picture. If you read the end of the book, the end of the story at the marriage supper of the lamb, it's a celebration where Jesus is presenting the church to God. And as men, we are doing this. We are presenting wives to God in a pure way, the best that we can to help our wives grow, be pure, and to be sanctified to God. We are called to lead our wives in holiness and to help them to the best of our ability to be godly. How you doing in that? This is what God has called us to. Sometimes that looks like you sitting down with your wife and leading a Bible study. Some of you others, that might just be like the weirdest thing in the world and your wife doesn't really desire that and that's okay. Some of you, it's making sure that she is able to have time to read her Bible, that you're taking the kids and you're spending time with them so that your wife has time to soak in the word of God. Sometimes it's the best thing that I can do for my wife. I don't always do that perfectly, right? No, right. But that's what I'm called to do and there's grace for that, right? There's grace for you, there's grace for me. Sometimes it's, it's just that, the, excuse me, sometimes it's just giving your, your wife an opportunity to grow. If she wants a book that's going to help her in her spiritual life, buy it for her. If she wants to go to a conference that's going to help her grow, make sure that you do everything that on your end to make that possible for her. My wife came to me just the other day and said, I want to go to this conference in October. And I said, great, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever we need to do for you to go because I value that you grow in Christ and I want you to grow in godliness and that's part of my job. You see, husbands are to set the stage for godliness. So if you're in a dating relationship right now, you have to ask yourself, is the current person that I'm dating, are they going to be able to lead me in godliness? Are they going to be able to lead me in such a way that Christ did? Not perfectly. We're not looking for a perfect man here. But is this person going to be able to lead me and guide me in my relationship with Christ? And if you're in a dating relationship right now and you're kind of carrying the relationship as the woman it might be kind of cute and fun right now, but it won't be when you get married. This is what you need to look for is a man that's going to be able to lead you, not just a man that's handsome and is able to fix things, but truly loves Jesus. Now, if, he, if he's able to fix things and loves Jesus at the same time, that's a good thing, right? My wife sometimes gets one of those, and it's never the one about fixing, so 
Find both of those ladies, but make sure it's not just the fixing it. But let's talk about practically just what this covenant relationship looks like and how we in marriage reflect Christ in the church. And for that, we need to look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. But he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33. However, let each of us, each of you, each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see and respect her husband. So Paul lays out here, he says, listen, guys, nobody loves you more than you. He says, that's why Jesus says, don't love your neighbor more than yourself, but love your neighbor and your wife as yourself. Because that's the highest form of love, the love that you have for yourself. Even if you say, listen, I don't really have a very high view of myself and I don't really like who I am. Well, you're proving the point that you're, you're thinking about yourself all the time. You might not have a positive view of yourself, but even the thinking of it, you're showing that you're really thinking about yourself all the time. I mean, think about when you're, in the store, when you're in, at the store in line. How many of you, man and woman, walk up to the grocery store line and it's just crazy busy and you think to yourself, how can I make this a best experience for the people around me right now? Right? No, you look for the shortest line that you can get through and you're budging your way in front of others and running to different ones. And then you're in the line you think is moving just the right speed. And then someone next to you, cashier opens up and says, I can help someone over here. But then there's someone else behind you. And you had that kind of weird moment where the, the lady says, you can go ahead of me, but you don't, want to think, you don't want this stranger to think that you're a jerk. So even though you want to go ahead of her, you tell her, no, why don't you go ahead, right? It's proving that the highest form of love is a love that you have for yourself. You're always looking for yourself. I shouldn't say it's the highest form of love. By this we know love, Jesus Christ. That's not the highest form of love. But maybe for us, we love ourselves. We're always looking out for ourselves, whether we want to admit that or not. And Paul is saying, love your spouse, spouse as much as you love yourself. So let's talk about that. In what areas of your marriage can you love your spouse as you love yourself, both husband and wife? Well, how about just in the mundane times? Because that's most of the time where you live, right? The mundane moments, that's a lot of your marriage. So let's get real practical here. How about your, when you're watching Netflix uh, and your wife wants to watch something that you don't particularly enjoy? Maybe she's into, like my wife, uh, British period dramas, right? <laughs> and so I think well, this isn't necessarily what I want to do, but we're going to do this together. I want to love you as I love myself. And it's a beautiful moment as I watch her cry over a child that just died from the measles. <laughs> You know, you look across the couch and say, you know, they, they do have a cure for that now. <laughs> but then she does the same thing for me. Okay, I don't recommend this for everybody, but I wanted to watch a game the other day. It wasn't on our TV, so my wife made dinner here in the church kitchen, and then I watched it in the foyer. Uh, th- th- you'd probably, probably, Abe's not here, but he wouldn't want you to know that you could do that. You can't, all right? <laughs> but I'll just tell you that now, but there's some things you know here on staff. 
but there is just this idea of we're, we're working together even in the mundane times. We're not living separate lives. You go to this room and do your thing, and I'm going to go to my room and do my own thing. No, we're true companions, and we're doing life together. Sometimes we can be in the same house and be so far apart from each other. Even in the same room, you can be far apart from each other. But intentionally, in the down times, we're going to use this time, and some of those times are few and far between, to draw closer together as a couple. Romans 12, 10 tells us, love one another with a brotherly affection. Okay, this is speaking of the church here, all right? But your, your brotherly affection is also the sisterly affection, which your, your wife is a sister in Christ. Outdo one another in showing honor. So you have a, a competition with your spouse to see who can show more honor to the other one. This is what God is, is calling us to do, to outdo each other in showing honor. Secondly, how can you love your wife as you love yourself? Well, that's in hardship. You can love your wife as you love yourself in hardship. Let's just be honest. Sometimes in marriage, there's some great stress, isn't there? some great hardship. Many of you are out there right now and, and some of the things I mentioned, it's, it's hard to, to laugh and to joke about because there isn't a lot of laughing in your marriage and there's a lot of hardship. Even in the best of marriages, there's hardship. And that's a time where we get to love our spouse as we would love ourselves. Now, sometimes that hardship is brought on by us, our own sin, and we send it to, if my wife could just be better, if my husband could just be better, I wouldn't feel this way. But marriage doesn't cause us a sin. It simply reveals the sin that's in our hearts. And sometimes there is great hardship that comes. But marriage isn't, Gary Chapman, Gary Thomas says this, marriage is not only to make us happy, but to make us holy. So marriage is a great sanctifier. It shows us areas that we're not like Christ. When you've got someone looking in on your life that sees everything, and it's a great way to be sanctified by saying, listen, this is a great opportunity as my spouse helps me to grow in Christ, and I become more holy in our relationship and in my relationship with God. Now, as what's been said around here before is that in conflict or in hardship, this is the first time that you're supposed to put yourself first. The only time you're supposed to put yourself first, and that's because you need to confess sin. That's the only time to put yourself first is when you confess your sin. Gentlemen, as leaders in the marriage, in the home, we should be the first ones to repent, the first ones to confess by leading in that way, right? Instead of thinking, well, if she repents, then I would. That's not true repentance. It's seeing where you need to change and being the first one to repent. Just as God forgives us in our relationship with him and continues to love us, we do the same. But sometimes hardship is caused by circumstances or some people outside of your marriage. And this is where you find that if you lean into it, this is a great opportunity for you to grow together as a couple and that marriage truly is better together rather than going through hardship alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone who falls and has no one to lift him up. 
And again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two withstand a threefold, a, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So marriage is better together in the mundane and in the hardship. Thirdly, let's talk about how you can love your wife as you love yourself in the area of sex. So covenant relationship. Sex is the ultimate physical act of intimacy. But the problem is we live in a world that wants intimacy without the covenant relationship. We live in a world that says, I want to be intimate with you. I want to see you in your most vulnerable state, but I don't want to be fully committed to you. And remember, this, the marriage bed reveals our relationship with God. It's a picture of it. We would hopefully not say to God, I want to have all the benefits of a covenant relationship with you. I want the intimacy. I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want to be fully committed to you. But in marriage, lives are merged. Names change. We're given a new identity in Christ. Also in marriage, we combine our monies. Legally, we're bound together. So intimacy in sex is meant to be the product of someone, of two couples who are fully committed to each other. That's why premarital sex and pornography is so dangerous. Sex outside of marriage says, I want to have the benefits of a covenant with you, but I don't want to be fully committed to you. When we, we, you, when we view pornography, it's saying, I want to control this person so that I see them in a way that I want to see them, all their, their private spaces, and I want to have that, but I don't want to be in a covenant relationship with that person or even know their name. But in a committed marriage relationship, John tells us in 1 John, it's, it's not talking about marriage, but I think we can apply it here, that perfect love casts out fear. And it casts out the fear when you're fully committed to someone. You have the freedom to be passionate. And oftentimes, freedom to be hilarious. That's one of the things about what I didn't know when I got married is how, how funny the physical side of marriage can be sometimes. And the joy that comes from that. Knowing that I'm, I'm fully committed in a covenant relationship to my spouse. And so we fully can experience true intimacy inside of that covenant relationship. But we need to love our wives, our husbands, as we love ourselves. So we must shift our mind from the way that we've been trained into thinking that sex is all about our own pleasure. And really it's about togetherness and being unified together and not our own pleasure, but the pleasure of the one that we're with in a covenant relationship. And we think that just because I'm doing with this within a, the marriage covenant that all of a sudden I'm being holy, but really I'm just trying to pursue selfish means with my spouse. I read in the book one time, I don't remember who wrote it, but they talked about couples who were being counseled and they were having a terrible time in their sex life. And they were counseled. They said, I want you to just not think about yourself at all when it comes to sex. 
just for an entire month, not, don't think about you at all. And they came back to it and they said, how are things going? They said, it's, it's, it's amazing how great things are. It's better than it's ever been before. So let us pursue inside a covenant relationship that we have intimacy relationally than we have it also physically at the very same time. Number four, how can we put our, put, love our wives as we love ourselves? I think the, number, the fourth one is to serve together. I love this one. Serving together is a great way to better your marriage. How many of you uh, serve in the church right now? How many of you are serving with your spouse? Okay, I would encourage you, find a ministry that you can serve together. Uh, Do you know how my wife and I, Mandy, how we actually started dating? It was a twos and threes class that brought us together. They were... uh, they put out the word in our college class at the time that Mandy Grice needed help in the twos and threes class. And I, at that moment, had a particular passion for twos and threes, and so decided to sign up. I tell you what, we served together on Sundays a couple of times a month, and it took our relationship to the next level. We weren't even dating yet. We were serving together. But it was amazing what service did. And it was we serve together now. Sometimes it's stressful, right? Because it's this person that knows you more than anyone else. And they can tell when you're putting on a show for somebody. But man, serving together is such a great way to come together as a couple and use your gifts together. And it's amazing how it brings you together relationally, relationally when you serve the Lord together. Now, I was showing this in marriage counseling, and I show it to the people that we do premarital counseling with. It's kind of a cheesy thing, and you've probably seen it. But it's true that when you grow closer to God as a couple, you naturally, or grow closer to God personally, you naturally grow closer to God as a couple. You grow closer to each other as a couple. Let me try that again, all right? Let's back that up. <laughs> when you grow closer to God personally, you naturally will grow, grow closer together as a couple. So it's kind of like a, a diamond with God at the top, and here's you, here's, this will be you, dude, and this will be the doodad over here, right? And as you are both pursuing Christ together, look what naturally happens. Whoa, right? You come together. And it's kind of a cheesy little illustration, but it's so very true. If you are both pursuing after Christ with everything you have, it's connected. Don't think it's disconnected. It's just like every area in your life, the closer that you are to Jesus, the closer that you're going to be drawn together as a couple. God has, he wedded the first two together, Adam and Eve, in a covenant relationship, and now it's broken because of sin. It's not perfect anymore. It takes a lot of work. Marriage is work. Nobody, (laughs) Marilyn's like, you have no idea. (laughs) Nobody, listen to this, nobody stumbles into a healthy marriage. Nobody all of a sudden goes, oh, wow, look at this. I ended up with a healthy marriage. No, 
It doesn't happen that way. Just like you can't wake up with a six pack. I'm talking about the one here on your stomach, right? <laughs> that comes through hard work. If you want a strong, healthy marriage, it comes through hard work of working together and drawing closer to Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It truly is better together. It's a beautiful picture of Christ to his church. So it's a good thing to pursue, and it's something worth fighting for. I was reminded on that wedding day by that groomsman as he pulled me aside and very seriously told me about the covenant relationship that I was about to enter into. And I took those words very seriously and took them to heart. But what really saddens me is that very same groomsman didn't take his own advice. Cheated on his wife and he's no longer in a covenant relationship. Let that be a warning. Remain holy. Pursue Jesus. Thank him for your spouse. Pursue them with everything that you have and take it, this gift from God, very, very seriously. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for our relationship. I thank you for you. God, even though those, there are some in this room that, that aren't in a marriage relationship, and it's hard to even hear a, a message on it. People that are here have been through terrible things and are divorced. And those who are longing to be married. God, I pray for those people. God, I thank you that we're brought into a covenant relationship with you. That mirrors what you long to see in couples in a covenant relationship. A never stopping, never giving up, always committed love no matter what. God, I pray we put the hard work into it, those of us who are in a marriage relationship. God, I pray for the one that's, those, the couple that's out there that's struggling. Maybe they're here by themselves and one spouse is at home. I'll pray for them. I pray they'd be the first one to repent. I pray that they would pursue their spouse to the best of their ability and to keep pursuing you and growing in covenant love and relationship with you, Jesus. We thank you for the gift that you've given to us. God, I pray that we would not take it for granted, but would pursue it and enjoy it. It truly is better together. In Jesus' name, amen.